2: radio studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm so glad you're here. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, also glad he'll be joining us in studio. Lee Zeldin, he almost became governor of New York. What's his next step? Uh, We'll talk to him about that. Also, people talking about him heading up the RNC. He says, I don't think I want to do that. And we'll discuss it. Uh, Today, the president of the United States uh, will welcome the Golden State Warriors to the White House to celebrate their 2022 championship. They're struggling this year, about 500, a lot of injuries. Uh, And Secretary of State Blinken will participate in a press availability with the U.K. foreign minister. A lot to discuss when it comes to Ukraine. So right now, let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com.
3: Number three. There's no way that the city is going to spend that amount of money on these reparations. So it seems like a lot of symbolic politics. And it's just sad because... We have a serious street addiction and untreated mental illness crisis in San Francisco.
0: And what's he talking about, Michael Schellenberger? Well, he's talking about reparations, even too crazy for California. Get this, San Francisco, reparations, yes. The free state of California owes African Americans who live in San Francisco $5 million each. This will cost the city billions and is totally inappropriate in my view. What about the state? They're moving, what about the country? Are we gonna write a check for that? Number two.
4: Mr. Biden always brags that the deficit came down $350 billion in 2021 and another trillion in 2022. But he neglects to mention that almost every nickel of that came from ending various COVID emergency spending programs.
0: That is true. Uh, Biden's economy, the way it is and the way he sees it, and define, they are defined very differently, vastly differently. We will mix in reality and forecast the year with the best in the business.
3: Number one.
5: I don't Hanging know jack about politics, but if I had to guess, I'm, they're trying to get rid of him. Instead of, like, taking these classified documents, which you have located, yeah. and go, well, let's not do that again, and locking them up somewhere. His own aides. Self-reporting. T- dude. On, that dude. sounds sus
0: frustrated that's how president biden feels now that most of the media is focusing on his classified document saga bad news 46 it's only going to get worse because of the terrible way you handled it and what you have said and done and doug jones even came out too and doug jones is big confidant of the president of the united states uh he was the alabama senator in a free collection uh he ends up being senator temporarily and then He lost the general election again because that's a a big red state. The problem with the president, he's frustrated. Well, it's all his own doing because him and his staff were slipshod about something he was very condescending about, the former president about. And that's leaving the highest level of documentation in and around places he worked and lived. Doug Jones writes this. The big mistake from Richard Sauber, who's the president's attorney, is to release a statement publicly without all the facts. And what are we talking about? Monday, you said there's about a handful of top secret, highly classified documents in a office you used to have for the University of Pennsylvania in Washington. Then we find out there was more. Then we find out they're in his garage. Then we find out they're around his Corvette. Then we find out there's even more documents on Saturday outside the garage. And we don't even know what these is about. But stunningly, his own lawyers are allowed to track it down when they come. This is what they say. When they come across these documents, they quickly realize they don't have the clearance, they don't read them, they call somebody with the clearance. So that makes people wonder, who, after six years out of office, and who knows what else is in his possession from his 50 years as senator, what else does he have? What else is missing? What prompted your November 2nd look into your closet? Not by you, but by your lawyer. What brought you there? If you're going to leave, tell a story and leave this many loose ends, of course the story will progress. James Comer, cut one.
1: We're going to continue to press for answers. We believe that this family could be compromised because of the millions of
6: dollars that they've received from our adversaries around the world, particularly from China. And the fact that they possess these documents in multiple locations all over town is very concerning.
0: I would think so. Uh, and we'll see where it goes. Now Republicans do have to keep it somewhat in check. And like James Comer said, something silly. He said, I'm gonna worry about the documents. I just wanna saw the I wanna just point out the unfair treatment between Trump and Biden. I listen, that's not what this is about. You might do that at the coffee table, at the grill, at the tailgate. That's not what you're doing as chairman of oversight. Please. That's not it. But many people wonder how could this happen and why now? Well, the president's on the cusp of announcing he's going to run for re-election. And he feels like he's on a roll. Now, if you are a Democrat and you don't want the president to run again, maybe you see this ticking time bomb all along and decide to bring it forward. And maybe it relates to a bigger story. Instead of indiscriminate ways to handle classified documents, maybe what's in those documents gets you in a lot more trouble. Joe Rogan said this about that. Cut three. I don't know
5: exactly about politics, but if I had to guess, I'm, they're trying to get rid of him. Yeah. That would, yeah. My guess would be they're trying to get rid of him. If all of a sudden his own aides are sending these, instead of like taking these classified documents, which you have located, yeah. and go, well, let's not do that again, and locking them up somewhere, his own aides. <sighs> Self reporting? T- dude, come on. That dude. sounds sus.
0: You know, I'm not going to spend the whole time on this, and we do have some serious issues to discuss that really affect your lives, but it's just so ironic and hypocritical for him to be so critical and the press be so critical of the president. Amaro Lago, six months out of office, you say we're missing some documents. He gives some back. They go, you have more? He goes, yeah, but I think I can keep them. They said, I don't think you can. We're going to give you a subpoena. He goes, we're going to fight the subpoena. In between then, there's a raid. Why he did that, I still can't explain it effectively. You might blame Trump. Yeah, uh, why end up in a raid over archives? Uh, you really were that worried? There's nothing that we know that you had that was in a situation was compromising national security. But the rules are the rules. Understood. So the rules are the rules, Mr. President. Sure, I hope you understand. November 2nd, the documents unexpectedly discovered at the Penn Biden Center. Really? What prompted you there? The University of Pennsylvania said we never asked President Biden to clean out his office. November 4th, the National Archive Inspector General notifies the Department of Justice. So they wait two days. The Department of Justice, after hearing from the archives, the Department of Justice asked U.S. Attorney John Lausch, and they assigned him to the project to probe it. So between the 14th and 20th, nothing happened. So you'd think it was over. Well, on December 20th, documents were discovered in Wilmington, in his garage. It took you five weeks in between discovery in a garage, the discovery in a closet, to get the discovery in a garage. That's a problem. Right there, you breach trust. And this is after six years since you were vice president. Keep in mind, six years. you worried about Trump. It's been a few months. And don't just sit there if you're at home and anti-Trump. I'm not making excuses. I'm just telling you. It's apples to apples. It's not apples to oranges. Then January 5th, Laush advises the Attorney General Merrick Garland that a special counsel is warranted. Why? Because he sees some other documentation there. And they find more documents. We learn there are more. A third tranche and then a fourth tranche on Saturday. So there you go. Then Bush addresses the documents. He says some ridiculous remarks on the 11th, additional documents found in the morning. On the 12th, third active documents identified at Wilmington House. And then on the 12th, you got this guy Robert Hurd who could become special counsel. And then, lo and behold, you took a few hours off to enjoy a Saturday. White House announces six more documents. Now, Trump, they said, had 300 plus. Okay, we're getting there. We're about 25. How many more do you have? I think there's a Biden center at the University of Delaware. Anyone gonna check there? I think you should. Kind of. Don't you? So Trump put this on Truth Social. House just announced that there are no logs or information of any kind of the visitor's Wilmington House in flimsy, unlocked, and unsecured, How now? Uh, but now very famous garage. So what happened is the Republicans said, okay, we know if people go to the White House, they got to sign in. What about if people go to your house? And they said there's no locks. But in thinking this through, can't go see the president without a background check, even if he's at his house. So you know there's some type of log there. And does he have a ring doorbell? I'm serious. But they are smarter than we think, Trump goes on on Truth Social. This is one of seemingly many places where highly classified documents are stored in a big pile on the damn floor. Mar-a-Lago is a highly visible secured facility with security cameras all over the place and watched over by staff and our great secret service. I have information on everyone. I think it neutralizes the whole thing. President beats Georgia. January 6th is kind of done. I think it's game on. What do you think? 1-866-408-7669. So the president of the United States is a bipartisan guy, likes working across the aisle. Well, Every time he's off script, he says something detrimental. Remember, he almost blew up the infrastructure deal by coming out saying, I will not sign one without the Build Back Better plan. The Build Back Better never got done. It got a portion of it done when Manchin signed off on it. And then all of a sudden, he blew up what was a handshake deal among senators, not even among the president. So when it comes to the economy, the president's talking on Martin Luther King Jr. Day and starts segueing into the economy. Cut 16. You're going to talk about big
7: spending Democrats again? Guess what? I reduced the deficit last year, $350 billion. And this year, federal deficit is down $1 trillion plus. Hear me. That's a fact. And there's going to be hundreds of billions reduced over the next decade. But so what? These guys are the <laughs> fiscally, you know, they're fiscally demented, I think. They don't, <laughs> they don't quite get it.
0: Well, you don't quite get it is we were overspending higher than ever because of the once-in-two-lifetimes pandemic. And we had to go, told everyone to go home for two weeks. It ended up being six months and stop working. So you had to infuse a whole bunch of cash into the system. Republicans and Democrats both reluctantly, more Republicans reluctantly did it because, like we said, we told everyone to stop working. They stopped going to work. Work was closed. They couldn't go anywhere. So they helped people with their rent. They help people with their loans. They put it on hold. They told people, here's some PPP money. And that's why you ended up getting the deficit cut, because the next year you didn't need that, and you took credit for it. So please understand that. I'll play that later. When we come back, Alan West joins us, then Lee Zeldin. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
1: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
2: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: To emphasize de-escalation, we have to retrain cops. Why should you always shoot with deadly force the fact is if you need to use your weapon you don't have to do that and look to call a fresh approach to recruit how we recruit how we hire how we train how we promote and how we retain retain law enforcement
0: do you believe this let's bring in lieutenant colonel alan west you tell people not to shoot to kill just shoot at legs american constitutional rights executive director former congressman from florida Colonel, why does this guy keep saying the same idiotic things? Does anyone ever brief him?
8: Uh, I don't think that they do brief him. I think he just goes off the the chart, and it's good to be with you, Brian. And, you know, having been a person in uniform and having to use a weapon and deadly force when necessary – uh, you don't try to you know, pinpoint someone's kneecap or whatever. You do what is necessary to neutralize that target and to take that target down and to save other lives. And so for him to come out with that type of advice, obviously he's never been in a situation where he had to use deadly force. And telling police officers and making this statement they don't have to use their weapons – you're setting them up for, you know, even more, uh, I guess, angst and, and anxiety out there in the uh, in the general public. So
0: reparations are now going to be offered to San Francisco, not because of slavery, because it was a free state, but because of biasness uh, that's happened through the years. So they put together a council to study this since twenty twenty one. The 15 member council came up yeah. with this idea. Five million dollars for any black resident. uh or anybody who is identifies as black to get $5 million that's experienced some type of uh, black codes or, anti- or bias behavior. So this is going to cost the city $50 billion. Not even possible. They're running in the red. What do you think about this, uh, Colonel?
8: Well, I think it's offensive. It's condescending. Uh, you, you, you know, Brian, I was born in February of 1961 in a blacks only hospital. I'm not looking for reparations. I wanted equality of opportunity. I just wanted to be able to get out there and get a good, Quality education, and as my dad said, find out what the standard is and exceed it. And so, what you're doing uh, with the black community, you're just continuing on with economic dependency. It's a new form of economic enslavement. And the fact that you would say anybody that identifies as black, so I guess Rachel Dolezal will make a yes. return now and she will, you know, get in line for some reparation money.
0: So, Michael Schoenberger lives out there, and this is what he said about what the council recommended cut 28.
3: There's no way that the city is going to spend um, that amount of money on these reparations. So it seems like a lot of symbolic politics. And it's just sad because we have a serious street addiction and untreated mental illness crisis in San Francisco. The city is not dealing with it in the way that it ought to be dealing with Mm -hmm. it. And instead of actually confronting the problems of addiction and of, you know, the crimes that feed them, both including theft and um, a lot of sex work, uh not to mention the open air drug dealing. Instead of dealing with right. those problems, it's engaged in symbolic politics.
0: Yeah, and give some of those people five million dollar checks. You'll know exactly what to do with it.
8: Yeah, it's it's a huge distraction. And how embarrassing that they would, you know, be making these type of announcements in and around, you know, Martin Luther King Junior Day because uh, I think that if Dr. King were alive and he would look at this type of economic servitude and economic enslavement, he would be upset with that. He would not agree with that. And if you want to continue every year to say we shall overcome, you're not going to overcome by just giving people money for, for nothing or for identifying as being black. We have to talk about the real issues in the black community, fatherlessness. You talked about the drugs. You talked about the black-on-black crime. You talked about the lack of good quality education opportunities in the schools and uh, economic opportunities. So those are the type of things that we should be talking about in the black community, not just writing a check.
0: So the other big story is the docudrama with the president of the United States. He's evidently frustrated that it's overwhelmed all this other good news. Uh, What do you think is behind this sudden discovery of 20 to 25 Uh, highly classified documents the contents of which we know little about but the places in which we found them are unbelievably disturbing and irresponsible what's your take on where this is going? Well
8: first and foremost I want to say that if when I was in uniform, if I was found with classified documents at my quarters, I'd be in Fort Leavenworth. So I don't understand why there is a two-tier system of justice here. But it's just real fishy, Brian, that after six years, all of a sudden we've got classified documents popping up in Joe Biden's Penn Biden Center or in his garage or what have you. This seems to me like the progressive socialist left, the Democrat Party itself, is trying to undermine this guy and not— i uh, send a message to him. We don't want you to run for re-election. We're going to kneecap you, uh, much the same as the mafia would kneecap somebody. So do you think Democrats want him out? I do think Democrats want him out. I don't think that he is a standard bearer for for him. I don't know who they think is a standard bearer. Certainly not Gavin Newsom. Certainly not Pritzker uh, in Illinois. Certainly not uh, Whitmer up in Michigan. But they don't see Joe Biden as being that standard bearer.
0: All right, Colonel, it's time for you to move to San Francisco and get $5 million. So I don't know if you're going to be ready to leave Texas.
8: No, I stay here in Texas. There's a lot of U-Haul vans coming this way.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much. Coming up next in studio, uh, former Congressman Lee Zeldin. Does he want to run for governor again? We'll discuss it.
2: Information You want truth. You demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade show.
0: I think there'll be no repercussions except political people. Even the Democrats are now saying, oh, my God, he said how sloppy. Trump was. Look how sloppy uh, he is and how irresponsible he is. We'll see political repercussions. I do not think we'll see criminal prosecution mm. against either. If there was ever a chance that Donald Trump would have
7: been prosecuted for what he did, That opportunity has disappeared as
0: the result of this kind of tit-for-tat politics where everything has to be equal and whatever is good for one has to be good for the other. It's usually not equal, but this is so—it's going to be so difficult for the attorney general to not say he's playing politics and just go after Trump after Mar-a-Lago as opposed to— President Biden after the Corvette and the garage scam. Lee Zeldin in studio, uh, the former New York gubernatorial candidate, longtime congressman from Long Island, knows all about this. First time I'm seeing you since uh, the big election. Congressman, great to see you in person. And another reason to watch uh, watch Fox Nation. You're being streamed live now. Uh, Before we get into you and what your plans are, what's your reaction to what's taken place over the last week?
9: Oh, it's crazy. The double standard. People were upset when they were watching everything played out at Mar-a-Lago. They said, this isn't right. You're a former president. It's clearly political. What's the need to be getting into all that personal space? And then when you see this play out with the shoes on the other foot, we I mean, we saw the 60-minute clip where Joe Biden was getting interviewed and he was with, filled up with this faux outrage over it. For the Department of Justice, they were just so over the top in the way that they acted uh, towards President Trump. They're now, still letting his lawyers do the, the investigation
0: jam. of all his places. How does that happen?
9: No, I mean, li- listen, if you were going to follow the same standard, then you would you would show up at the Delaware residence, and I'm not saying that they should be doing it, but if you're going to follow the same rule book, you're now going through his personal closets yeah. and the bathrooms, and you're, you're going as deep as, as you saw in Mar-a-Lago, and quite frankly, uh, you, you see, you know, like keeping it in the garage parked right. right next to the car. I mean, this is even closer to, you know, accessible you're for the public, You're in the military, right? In the you're middle still in, of Mar-a-Lago.
0: Uh, Liesel, you're still in the car, uh, National Guard, right?
9: I'm still, still in the reserve. I had drilled just uh, a week or so ago in my 20th year.
0: What do they tell you about classified information?
9: Oh, my gosh. it's It's something that you're always getting trained on you're always getting trained on on every aspect of it the way you handle classified information the way that it's marked where it's stored what you do with your with your access card to be able to uh, enter into a computer making sure that when you step away that you are grabbing that card uh, the way that when you're opening up emails being careful with you know what links you're clicking and what uh downloads you're actually going to allow onto your computer. There's so much training over and over and over again. And the consequences of mishandling classified information is so severe. Uh, you know, when you're at the very top of that food chain, it's more important than anyone to right. be
0: setting the right example of how to handle it. I, I heard that when you get the highest classification, it's, it looks different. It's in a folder. It might be red on top. Could you possibly mistake classified information with regular information? Well,
9: it depends on whether or not it is stored correctly. To to have the proper markings as far as what exactly was found uh, in Delaware, we we need to have more information. Uh, Maybe it wasn't all marked the way that it should be. Clearly, it wasn't stored the way that it should be. And I think what Americans are most outraged about isn't that the— President of the United States, the sitting president of the United States, has this at his Delaware home. Right. It's the double standard.
0: So here's what Jim Jordan said yesterday and what he plans on looking into – what Chairman Comer does to want to lead the investigation, cut six.
1: That is why uh, Chairman Comer wants to get access to the suspicious activity reports and understand what these are. They're suspicious activity that the Treasury Department sees on bank accounts, and they have 150 of them, exactly. we've been told. That's why he wants to see that information and focus his investigation there and build out from from, from from that premise. So that's why he's looking for it. Hopefully he'll get access to those in the course of his investigation.
0: So tell me about suspicious activity reports.
9: We will certainly need – I mean, I'm so happy that Jim Jordan is the chair of judiciary instead of Jerry Nadler. I mean, James Comer is there instead of Carolyn Maloney. Uh, But what we need to know is what kind of red flags there were, what were alerted, what what did these entities know. Uh, That information does need to be provided to Congress. It needs to be provided quickly so that – the House can complete an investigation, as opposed to just being railroaded mm-hmm. and delayed and obstructed over the course of the next couple of years. Uh, so you have to hit the ground running. Time is of the essence. As far as you know, what what's found, what might, what kind of red flags might have been raised? You know, when you have money that's coming from these foreign entities, and it's in, in high dollar
0: amounts, maybe maybe the bank was alerted. So evidently, maybe. Hunter was alerted a few times. So if Lee Zeldin, if you were getting. Um, Big deposits into your account, as congressman in Suffolk County, and there were deposits going into your account from other countries, especially China or Ukraine. Would that be picked up? It should be. I
9: I don't know. But you know what's interesting is that now they want to go so far as to go into the average Americans. If you have a you know a transaction that's six hundred dollars or more, yeah, they want to be all over it. But, yeah, if you're a a high-profile figure and you're getting a massive payment from abroad. By the way, I don't know if they had bank accounts overseas. I mean, it seems like Hunter all of a sudden becomes this amazing painter. And he's getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for a painting out of the gate. Now, that's a way that you can receive payments. Someone just purchases... You're your paint, your painting for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So how they were able to get
0: this money is something that should be part of the investigation. So you run for governor, and you close the gap rapidly, and I think it was finally, was it 52 or 53 to 47 Correct, yeah, it was about, she, uh, she had about 53%. So this is better than anybody ever thought you would be doing, especially with such a battle to get the nomination. Uh, retrospect, in studying the numbers What fell short? Where did you overperform? Where did you underperform? You overperformed just about everywhere. Yeah, we ended up in every single
9: county. We saw growth from 2020 to 2022. Uh, Everything went more red. Uh, We have now 11 Republicans in the House delegation here in the state. Uh, I got more votes than any Republican statewide in 52 years. What we need to build upon here in New York City is that we went from 2018 The Republican candidate, got about 15%. And we got just over 30 percent. And it required a lot of time inside of New York City. And when you're spending more and more and more time inside of the city, it's a little less time to spend elsewhere. What we what we really need, if you look to 2026, I think it would be good for the Republican candidate to be able to get at least 35 percent of the vote in New York City without having to spend that much time in the city in order to get it so you can spend more time elsewhere. What we said the entire campaign is if we get less than 30 percent, there's no way to win. And if you get 35 percent or more, it starts to become extremely difficult to lose. So we got the 30 percent number,
0: but I got to tell you, it spent a lot of time inside the city in order to get there. And because of that, a lot of Republicans did well. You brought a lot of people to the polls, got people excited, made it possible for the party to think they could make a difference here. So that is no doubt about it. And I've done this. I've even Democrats who admit it wasn't for Lee Zeldin running for governor. You might not have the House. Yeah, if it's
9: a status quo House race in New York, you would have six Republicans. You have the New York 22 Brandon Williams seat in the Syracuse area. So that was a whole John Katko left office, but that's a Biden district. And then you have these New York City suburban districts that flip from Democrat to Republican. And if you don't flip these seats, if you don't hold the New York 22 seat, you have six. So instead we have 11. Instead of it being a 218 to 217 Democratic majority, we have a 222 Mm. Republican majority. And we're just really proud of uh, so many of these new freshmen. So,
0: George Santos, not one of the people you're proud of. I oh, mean, I've man. never seen anything like it. This guy lied about where he went to college. He lied about his religion. He lied about his mom dying in 9-11. He died about having a, a family member in the Holocaust. He died about getting a volleyball scholarship in college. Never went to Baruch. Never did deals with J.P. Morgan. Uh, never worked anywhere. Uh, th- What's your reaction to him? Did you
9: Do you know him? It's sad. So, when you meet him... He's a personable guy. He's charming. He's likable. He's engaging. And it's sad that the, just the, the whole thing was untrue. Everything, everything. everything. I, he
0: I, might not even be gay. I, who knows? He, who, who married knows? to a woman till he's twenty nineteen. The the voters of his district
9: are so upset. And and that and district I think,
0: is where where is it? So the,
9: that so this is the North Shore. Of Long Island, you have Nassau covered heavily, and then it goes into Queens. And I, I think maybe even more outraged than people who didn't vote for him are many of the people who did. You know, because you you go out there publicly, you're knocking on doors, you're making calls, you're telling people, "Hey, support this Republican candidate for Congress," and then you're maybe you're embarrassed. That you put your neck out there. Just people are are really bothered by this inside of that district. Obviously, there's plenty of people bothered outside of his district. I mean, I I just don't think he's long
0: for the job. Well, if you have a resume and you embellish it or make it up, you still could stay in your seat. But if you have a campaign violation, that would be different, correct? And if he's using some funds from outside to pay his personal bills on his house and an infusion of cash of $700,000, it makes no sense. How do, What is the process here? How long does an ethics investigation take to get going? I don't even know who's not
9: investigating them at this point. Local, state, federal, international criminal investigations, FEC investigations, House Ethics Committee investigations. Now, when you ask about how long the House mm-hmm. Ethics Committee investigation takes, one of the things that... Uh, I've seen, I served eight years in the House, is that if there's a criminal investigation going on, sometimes the House Ethics Committee will defer for that criminal investigation to right. take place. So the real question is how long is the criminal investigation going to take? Now, there has been so many lies told by Joe Biden as President of the United States about his background. Uh, you know, Elon Omar, Richard Blumenthal lying about a service in Vietnam, Elizabeth Warren and her lies about her background. There's just so much here that's where that they're Santos treading story. somewhat
0: carefully, although all the media seems to be jumping all over them. Would you ever run for that seat
9: uh, It's something i haven't thought about i uh, you know i have enjoyed you can be the, outside the district and run for that right correct uh, It's something i haven't given any thought to all right um what would what's the procedure do they run for a special election? so if there is a vacancy in a house race in New York, the governor has uh to call special election. I believe it's within ninety days. I would have to double check that. There are no primaries. Uh, the way it takes place is that the parties will pick the candidate. In New York, we have four parties, Republican, Democrat, Conservative, and Working Families Party. And then that special election would be you know, whoever
0: the four parties pick. Louise Eldon here. Congressman, you thought people were bringing you up as somebody who should run the RNC, uh, the feeling that Ronald McDaniel has not performed well in terms of pure results. What is the party, what prevented the red wave in your mind?
9: Well, it's amazing that despite what didn't play out nationally, that in places like New York and Florida, we were able to deliver a red wave at a local level. Nationally, there should have been a red wave. Why wasn't there? If I had to come up with one thing, I could give you a 100. I'll give you one. Is that I believe that waves, momentum, energy, enthusiasm, movements are created not by what you tell people you're against, but what you tell people what you are for, what they are getting. When the wave came in 1994, Republicans weren't just saying, Bill Clinton, bad, Democratic, bad, vote for me. You had Haley Barber as chair of the RNC. You have Newt Gingrich running to be the Speaker of the House. They put out a contract uh, with America. People who were running were talking about it. The media knew what was in it. The voters had certain aspects that were their favorite parts of it. They couldn't wait to have it. So what happens is that people start opening up their trust, their faith, their hope, They start believing with a clear sense of purpose that if they don't go all in doing everything in their power to help deliver that red wave nationally, that they're not doing their part and they won't be able to save America. And I feel like what happened in 22 is that that just never played out. People didn't get they didn't believe they didn't didn't get that that picture, that vision of what they were going to have.
0: Even though Kevin McCarthy did put something out. Right. But it wasn't the contract with America. And he had to work really hard. What were you thinking with all these rounds of a speaker election in retrospect? In the middle of it, it looked like a disaster. Um, what do you hear now? These are your friends. In
9: a way, battles like that will actually make you stronger. I mean, you saw it with uh, Gates and Rogers. They had their incident. Or I think it was the 14th round on the floor of the House. Yeah. And then right after it was over, Rogers saying he apologized, he overreacted, Gates accepted. Everyone saying, OK, let's move on. There's a lot of that coming out of the House Republican Conference right now. They went through this process. There's actually a lot of pride amongst many members, some who opposed Kevin McCarthy at first, others who supported him throughout, that this final product for the rules and some of the bills that are going to get voted on will result in a House where they didn't just challenge the status quo, that they changed the status quo. So I think
0: that there's a lot of people in the House Republican Conference actually feel better because they went through it. Yeah, we'll see what happens. The debt ceiling debate is coming up right now, and you've seen been through a part of government shutdowns before. If the president won't negotiate on the debt ceiling, who blinks? Uh, it's all about
9: winning public opinion. And you can't wait until the 11th hour, and then if you don't approve this limit uh, increase of the debt limit tonight by midnight, then all of a sudden you're going to default— What you need to do is talk about this now, six months out, to the public. Tell the public that that this is something that is very important. Here's why. This is our responsibility. Here's why. And then you spend the next several months working towards that particular date where you have to lift the limit, and then if you win the public argument over it, well, now maybe you can actually
0: get some Democrats to agree to some reforms. Lee Zeldin hasn't decided what's next for him yet. He's got a lot of options there. But right now, you haven't thought about the Santos seat. That's who you're going to go with, right? Uh, no, I'm not thinking about that. Okay. Uh, you're going to be on America's Newsroom. Are you thinking about that? Yes, sir. 10:15. Right. Absolutely. Hey, uh, Lee Zeldin, thanks so much. Great to see you in studio. Hopefully it won't be the last time uh, or it won't be that much separate from this time. Back in a moment, listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll take your calls next.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers, here it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. All
0: right, we are back, everybody, just finishing up this hour, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, so we know this. Uh, The President of the United States does not like distractions, but he'll be welcoming the Golden State Warriors today. So that's kind of interesting. Great to see Lee Zeldin. He'll be on television shortly. His next move is uh, also really important for the party. He's one of the people that did produce during the the break. Brian, you're listening in Florida. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind?
7: Hey, good morning, brother. It's good to get in through you here finally after many times. But uh, you know I keep wondering why do we keep listening to this guy I keep talking about I pay down the deficit I pay down the deficit wouldn't it have been better to pay down the debt get rid of some of that interest
0: Well I mean that I mean that's true too uh, but I guess when you to stop the deficit from becoming part of the debt so that means uh, I hear what you're saying but the thing is it's totally disingenuous it's it's for example if if you stop paying for college if your kids all graduate you're going to have more money. You're going to have less debt. You don't deserve credit for that. Your kids graduated. You had a pandemic. Absolutely. There was emergency spending. So don't take credit for it. The pandemic's Absolutely. over. It makes you not want to trust what's next, Brian. Um, I appreciate nice. Yeah, I appreciate the call. I think people can figure that out. But And by the way, if I'm there for a Martin Luther King Jr. speech with the president, I don't want to hear how demented Republicans are when it comes to the economy. What do you tell your kid you want to have a moving moment about a great American who died way too young but did way too much, Uh, did so much, and that happened?
2: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but we're heard around the country and around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by Brian Brenberg, uh, Jackie DeAngelis, and Taylor Riggs. they got a brand-new show on FBN. You're going to love it. Then we'll do a simulcast on Barney & Company, a hot one of the hottest shows in the country, also on FBN. And with me in studio, if you're watching Fox Nation, Chad show. Uh You know Chad. He's been on before. Former uh, recon marine and DOD contractor with eight deployments in Afghanistan as part of a joint special operations command task force, and as the co founder of Save Our Allies, you know what they've done uh, for uh, so many of our people, especially in the battle in the Ukraine, and the author of a brand new book called Saving Aziz How the Mission to Help One Became a Calling to Save Thousands. Uh, We're going to be with Chad in a second. Uh, Chad, before we check in with you, here are the big three things you need
3: to know.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. There's no way that the city is going to spend that amount of money on these reparations. So it seems like a lot of symbolic politics. And it's just sad because we have a serious street addiction and untreated mental illness crisis in San Francisco.
0: Even too crazy for California. Get this, San Francisco reparations? Yes, the free state of California owes African Americans who live there $5 million each. I'll give you the details. It's not sustainable. Number two.
4: Mr. Biden always brags that the deficit came down $350 billion in 2021 and another trillion in 2022. But he neglects to mention that almost every nickel of that came from ending various COVID emergency spending programs.
0: It's unbelievable. Biden's economy, the way it is and the way he sees it, defined, defined very differently, I would say vastly differently, will mix in the reality and forecast the year with the best in the business.
3: Number one.
5: I don't I know jack about politics, but if I had to guess, I'm, they're trying to get rid of him. Instead of, like, taking these classified documents which you have located, yeah. and go, well, let's not do that again, and locking him up somewhere his own aids self reporting dude come on that dude. sounds sus
0: that is joe rogan being joe rogan frustrated that's how president biden feels now that most of the media is focusing on his slipshot way of handling classified documents bad news 46 it only gets worse because of the terrible way you have handled it and how we keep on finding classified documents at the highest level now now meet chad robershow chad great to see you oh thanks for having me on hey chad in theory you probably count across a lot of uh, highly classified documents Yes, <laughs> and if you were to leave them in your garage next to your corvette, if you were to leave them out in your locker, what happens to you? Well, uh, we'll go to jail uh, I mean no doubt about uh, it i mean and,
10: and that's not a that's not a theory there's been a, a plenty of amazing you know young men and women that served our country that's even made just legitimate mistakes uh mistakes they should not have made but mistakes
0: and end, and end up spending years in jail. I remember this. one I think it was when a naval officer took a picture to send home in in a in a insider inside a submarine that's right and the backdrop they said was classified and he went to jail he went to jail yep yeah. and uh
10: and you know and this is that double standard that we see in, in our elites in our government that aren't held to the same standard yet they're the ones that ha- that have access to the most classified information the most uh dangerous information to be leaked out
0: what brought you to the military say again what brought you to the military
10: oh i uh, i have 84 years of service in my family i have uh my 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 uncles did uh, World War II, Korea. My father was served as a Marine infantryman in Vietnam. Both my sons served in the Marines. So it's just uh, it's something in our family to, to serve our country and, uh, and do our patriotic part to uh, keep our country safe. What years were you in? Uh, I went in in 1993 uh, through 2007. Uh, ultimately did eight deployments to Afghanistan uh, during my time as a as a Force Recon Marine and part of a JSOC task force. And, and what uh, did you get out of the experience? You know, uh, <laughs> I I learned a lot because uh, going to different places around the world, I really learned uh, who who America is and how America's role in the world really plays out. I think early on in my, you know, as my early years, first 10 years of becoming a recon marine and doing all the training, I had this, especially after 9-11, I had this bravado sense of, you know, American, uh, just American strength and American patriotic, uh, the patriotic power of our country has. And I still have that. But going to places like Afghanistan and seeing how our role and our strength in, in the world impacts people on the ground level and, and other parts of the world just really changed me. It gave me a big, uh, gave me a real compassionate heart for people and leads a lot of the stuff I do today.
0: So when you go in there and you know you have the strength that we have, but all we're trying to do is build up them to have their, make their country better, and then we will leave without touching any of their natural resources. Same thing in Iraq. Right. How many countries do that? That's not the story what no. Russia did. No. That's how the Soviet Union did. They were there to take
10: it over and dominate. Right. It, it's, you know, it, it is much different. And I think a lot of uh, – I hear a lot of uh, uh, people who are very uneducated on this topic say you know, America's like this uh, – goes in and, and, and goes to these countries to take them over and change their democracy and, and, and change their way of life and then, and then rob their natural resources. And that's just not true. It's not what America does.
0: We would have taken the, the rare earth oh, we, we would have taken Iraq's oil. Yeah,
10: we could have took Iraq's oil. We could have took the 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 trillions of dollars of lithium in the Hindu Kush mountains and the Himalaya mountains of uh, of Afghanistan, uh, but we we didn't. And we in uh you know I said a lot, for a long time one of the people that want us out benefits for being, us being out of Afghanistan is China because they want those lithium and mineral rights in the Hindu Kush mountains and uh, and. I was you know, called a conspiracy theorist like others, and, uh, but in fact, we left Afghanistan on August 31st, and uh, in, the, in the first week of September, China had those mineral rights for the Hindu Kush mountains. And, um, and I, I, I did, I did and not know they had
0: the rights. They had the rights already, they do. and they sold them off.
10: They gave it to them. They, t- t- the t-
0: Taliban gave it to, the, to China.
10: Not even sell it? Not even sell it. Well, I'm sure there's a deal. So
0: 20-plus years, you we were there, and allowing a whole generation to grow up and have, to a degree, a chance, especially women, a chance to be educated. That's right. A chance to understand what it's like to vote for people in charge. And, yes, there was corruption, and there were problems outside Kabul. We understand there was five different countries there. I got it. Yeah. But every day we were there, it was never explained to the American people that it made us more secure. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, look, uh, Bakham
10: Air Force Base, is the, it, to me, is the most strategic place in the globe right now between Iraq, Iran, Russia, and China. And, and our effort there quickly turned into an international effort where the entire international community participated. And in about 2018, we stopped doing conventional military fighting, and we shifted to support the advisory role of the Afghan National Army and Afghan National Police. And the entire international community were participating in that and keeping the Afghan National Army and Afghan National Police equipped to fight the Taliban and keep them in the mountains of Afghanistan, keeping America safe and keeping the world safe.
0: So what we decided to do because of this administration says, I want this war to end. How would you describe the way we left?
10: Well, again, you know, first of all, and you said something very important uh the war ending, we, were, we had been told over and over that this was a 20-year war, it was an endless war, we had to stop killing America's sons and daughters. That just was not true. We had shifted in from 2018 to that type of war, to having a small contingent of 2,500 to 4,000 troops. And, uh, and we should not have left. It wasn't our base, Bagram Air Force Base was not ours to give up. It was the international communities, it was the Afghan governments. Uh, and so we made a decision, and when I say we, the White House made a decision to not negotiate with our NATO, or ally partners, or, or the government that we put in place for 20 years, they spoke to the Taliban, our enemy, and, and withdrew our, our troops without even a plan. And the plan that was executed, like you said, was a horrible one.
0: How many people did we leave behind?
10: Uh, well, we left behind, right as of right now, 75,000 of our ally interpreters. We left behind all their family members, which totals about 300,000. These are contractually obligated uh, people that have path, earned paths to citizenship. We left behind, in my opinion, thousands of Americans— and green card holders, and we left behind 40 million Afghans that we made a promise to, including 20 million women that will be sexually enslaved for the rest of their lives because of the way we left.
0: And they say it's Taliban 2.0, but it's not turning out like that, is it?
10: It's not. I mean, within while we were still withdrawing, they were already selling nine year old girls for a couple hundred bucks to 50 year old men. The Taliban was asking for uh, the Taliban mullahs were asking for lists of Women, 14 years old to 45 years old, while we were still there. Uh, this was not Taliban 2.0. They were exe- we watched them execute 25 commandos that fought beside us in the streets, and we did nothing about it. And that set a precedents that the Taliban could do whatever we want. Additionally, now we, we see them. Women back in burqas, just last week, the uh, women were told that they could not see male doctors anymore. Meanwhile, women are not allowed to be educated. So that means there's no.
0: They women can't healthcare. serve in government either. They can't they serve at serve NGOs. That's right. And um, so there's no women's health care in Afghanistan now. Uh, Chad Robichaux here. Uh, he's got a book out called Saving Aziz. We're going to bring Aziz in shortly. How the mission to help one man became a calling to rescue thousands from the Taliban. When did you realize you had to help or you wanted to help? Well, early on,
10: and when, I mean, when I say early on, like two days after President Biden took office, we, we heard him speaking about he's going to do a full withdrawal. Uh, I was immediately concerned because of the things I just spoke about. But also uh, from a strategic level, I, I can't do anything about that anymore but my personal concern was for Aziz. Aziz was my interpreter on eight deployments. Uh, and because of the nature of our job, uh, I worked in a singleton capacity by myself, uh, going out ahead of my unit to do the clandestine infrastructure to put our soldiers on target to capture or kill bad guys. Aziz was my interpreter. And for the continuity, he was my interpreter for all eight deployments. We were out in the mountains of Afghanistan, Pakistan together. Uh, he saved my life numerous times, uh, and we were not out operating. I didn't go back to base and he went home. I went to his home. I was there with his, his wife would cook us dinner when we came back from the cold mountains. And, and I held his, I held my shoot and my shoe his, his daughter, his son and daughter when they were born. And so, uh, he's my friend and, and knowing he would be left there and killed for what he did for me. I, I knew that I had to do something
0: about him and, and, and help get him out. And, and we're going to find out exactly how you helped help get him out. But then you realize you wanted to help more.
10: Yeah, well, as we were uh, planning, I put together a a team to go get Aziz, and as we're putting together this team of former very experienced special operations guys, uh, we we were sitting around and and, uh, talking about this, and and, uh, one of the team members said, hey, there's this group of 3,500 orphans. And it was kind of a moment where we realized we got this incredible uh, capacity of skill to do this. We have the heart to do it. I believe God was burdening all of our hearts to help these people that couldn't help themselves. We said, let's let's help as many Americans— Interpreters, women, children, Christians, every persecuted. Let's help as many people as we can, and and I believe that. In a moment, we just we felt that burden on our heart from God. We we just made the the decision to be obedient, and beyond that, we've seen a miracle happen. Honestly, how many did you get uh, out? Seventeen thousand.
0: Seventeen thousand. Seventeen thousand.
10: Yeah. Uh, where did they go? Uh, the people that we brought out, I think it's one of the. Problems that a lot of people had with us it was like, you bring in all these people to America, you don't know who they are. I'm not the State Department. We don't have the ability to do that. We were bringing them to places like uh, uh, Albania. Most of our people went to Abu Dhabi. Uh, when we made that decision, and I say we've seen a miracle happen, a couple of things happened for us. One is that a lady named Sarah Verardo, who's a great friend of the network here, she was able to get in touch with the Joint Chiefs and get us permission to go in HKI Airport to do a civilian evacuation, which is an impossible thing to happen. Uh, secondly, we called the Royal Family in UAE and told them our plan, and they agreed to roll out the red carpet for us, give us humanitarian center. It, because you can't move people without visas to right. another country. That's called human trafficking. You could do that in Laredo, Texas, but
0: border.
10: in the real world you can't. So we, they gave us the red carpet, and they gave us C-17 planes, and then, uh, you know, a great friend of, uh, of mine, Glenn Beck at Mercury One uh, Charities, had raised millions of dollars in, uh, and agreed to help us pay for flights. And so we had all these people come together in a period of three days to be able to execute that operation and, and go in Afghanistan and, and where Niger was rescues. the
0: Pentagon on all this?
10: Uh, well, the Pentagon was, uh, was giving the most strategic place in the globe away to our enemies. Uh, and I don't just mean the Taliban enemies. I mean China, Russia, mm-hmm. Iran,
0: uh, the pen- and, and Chad, you know what also bothers me? Because the Pentagon knows better. So when a civilian comes in with no military experience and says, this is my objective, it's up to those officers to go, let me just tell you what could happen. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me they're going to last 18 months. Don't tell me the government's got plenty. Understand that without any yeah. without any air cover, all these people are going to have a choice. Their family's going to be killed or they're going to have to defect. And for them not to play this out right. and explain that to the civilian and for you not to put your four stars on the, on the table and say, if you do this, I quit, I have, I have no patience with. I agree. I mean, look, look this is a—the president
10: had—we know that the, the joint chiefs and the intelligence—the leaders in our intelligence community advised the president not to do it. He said we're doing it anyway, and they went along with it and executed it, right. and it cost people's lives. American lives, civilian lives, it cost people's lives.
0: You're going to meet Aziz in a moment. Chad Robert shows here. You've got to go pick up his book. It's a great American book, Saving Aziz, How the Mission to Help One Became a Calling to Rescue Thousands from the Taliban. Don't move.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: Saving Aziz, the name of the book, Chad Robichaux is here. And with me right now is Aziz himself, uh, who made his, uh, who proved himself um, a, a great friend a uh, great friend to the country and uh, to you Chad Aziz welcome thank you sir so tell us tell us where you were at when Chad, when when america pulls out and you realize no one's got your back
6: i was uh, in afghanistan kabul living with my family and uh, when uh, president biden announced the total withdrawal of the uh, military from afghanistan at first i didn't take it serious because I was really counting on the Afghan military that was trained by U.S. military, equipped, everything was given to them. But uh, unfortunately, the country collapsed from the top leadership. The covert president ran away with a lot of money. He
0: did leave with money, no yes. question. Yes, yes. No yes. Question, there yeah. was,
6: there's evidence that he uh, did leave with money. And uh, the, the middle management and the bottom management collapsed within the matter of hours.
0: Aziz, when did you realize your life was in danger?
6: Uh, I realized uh, the day that uh, when uh, I was watching the news uh, on the 15th, August, uh, when the government collapsed and I was watching the enemy coming to my hometown, capturing the provinces, uh, torturing all the United States allies, interpreters, ex-military soldiers, officers, and uh, sex enslaving all the females. So that was the time when I really realized that uh, my life is in danger and the enemy is coming to get you.
10: Chad, how'd you get him out? Well, we, uh, we put this together this team, and uh, we was, we had a, a contingent in Abu Dhabi to manage uh, groups of people and, to, and build target lists. And then we had a three-man team on the ground. Uh, with Aziz specifically, uh, when we were trying to move our team, I was trying to move our team to Aziz as we were coordinating and getting him out. They ended up on opposite sides of the airport, and I was in, uh, able to. we were able to get in touch with the Special Operations, uh, Active duty Special Operations team led by uh, a, a guy named Sean High, and uh, we were able to get uh-huh. Sean High right outside the gate, get Aziz right there, and uh, and we were able to get
0: them to bring him inside. Aziz, you knew if you and your family don't get out, you were going to die.
6: Yes, exactly. So
0: what is that like?
6: It's horrible. It's really horrible. Uh, uh, my life and my children's life was in danger just because I was the ally of United States. And there was uh, uh, this, this guy that uh, in 2007, he, he he used to work for us. He was an Afghan driver. He compromised and flipped over to the Taliban. And we had a Black Friday. Uh, that, that was the time when one of our truck and two of our drivers were seized by the Taliban. And uh, those drivers and this other guy who flipped over, right. they give all my personal information to the bad guys. And they knew exactly who I was. And they had all my personal information and uh the the sooner uh, the bad guys start coming back mm-hmm. and uh, they were trying to uh, come and get me
10: was yeah, it this, like this guy um, was a uh, this guy like when we, when he turned on us yeah cuz this was part of our operation he turned on us he had some of our guys killed he had a vehicle bomb driven into my house uh he he uh, had me abducted by a foreign intelligence agency i can't say which one but he had me abducted by a foreign intelligence agency and we ended up arresting this guy uh, we caught him, and he, when we caught him, he was arrested and put in in jail, uh, both Bagram Jail and Pulatarki You were abducted, jail. yes, but by a by a foreign intelligence agency, and and uh, and luckily, you know, I was right. uh, I was released. Uh, but it was because of this guy, and then in two and during President Obama's administration, he did a big release uh, of some of the guys that were, and this guy was released, and he went back to the Taliban. And now we know in April of 2021, we know that this guy's name is wow. Bashir, right about him in the book, is looking for Aziz. And that's why we were like, we have to get him out, because it wasn't like he's going to get killed for being an ally. He's going to get killed by Bashir for what he did uh-huh. with us.
0: Aziz, what's it like having a friend like Chad?
6: It's incredible. It's <laughs> He's awesome. He's amazing.
0: And you're, fan- you're doing okay now? you living here in America? Yes,
6: yes everything is uh, well. Kids are going to school. And uh, praise be the Lord, uh, everything is working very well.
0: Have you figured out American football yet?
6: Uh, no, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the last thing you yeah, understand. Yes, but you'll exactly. probably you'll be a big Texan fan soon, yes. right? Yeah. And
0: a Rocket fan. Basketball you get.
6: Yes. Right? Okay,
0: good. Saving Aziz, pick it up. Chad Robert Show, thanks for everything you do for the country. Thank you. On a daily basis. And welcome. Thank We're you. glad to have you. Uh, pick up this book, How the Mission to Help One Became a Calling to Rescue Thousands from the Taliban.
2: show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: You're going to talk about big spending Democrats again? Guess what? I reduced the deficit last year. $350 billion. And this year, federal deficit is down one Trillion plus dollars, hear me—that's a fact. And there's going to be hundreds of billions reduced over the next decade. But so what? These guys are the fiscally—they're you know, fiscally demented. I think they don't—they don't quite get it.
0: What a great tribute to Martin Luther King Jr. on MLK Day uh, yesterday. <laughs> speech just goes awry when the prompter goes down, or he leaves the prompter. That all hell breaks loose, including calling basically Republicans demented. I have not heard that word in quite some time, but I know what it means. Brian Brenberg, Jackie DeAngelis, Taylor Riggs are here. It's no coincidence. They are the co-hosts of the new FBN show that starts next week called The Big Money Show. It's going to be weekdays at 1 o'clock. So, guys, welcome. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you. Thanks, for having I us. want to get into the whole show, but first of all, would you just weigh in on what your thoughts about the deficit and the reality? Because Larry Kudlow jumped on and made <laughs> his old <own, a> monologue <laughs> about that. Jackie, do you want to start?
11: Yeah, I'll go ahead and start and say I was listening to that speech live, and and I was rolling my eyes because. He's not telling people the context of how he reduced the deficit. It's technically true, but it's not really true. We were at pandemic peak levels of spending. We had to spend trillions of extra dollars to deal with the situation and the crisis that we were in. So if he would have done nothing the first year, 2021, the deficit would have dropped $750 billion to $850 billion. But because he spent more money, he only <laughs> reduced the point. deficit by $350 mm. billion. I mean, that gives you a sense of what's happening here.
0: Right. And he would also throughout last week's a like, trickle down to uh, economics doesn't work. No one even brought that up. He was uh, talking about something totally different. He's
1: reaching back into the 80's grab bag yeah. of economics. about that? No, I mean, we're, we're, we're not talking about trickle-down economics. We're talking about spending restraint and getting a limping economy growing again. Everyone's talking about recession in 2023, even if we don't get recession. You're still getting probably zero growth, okay? We can do better than zero growth. And that brings
12: us into the debt ceiling debate of just sort of the policy aspect of it as well as the economic aspect of it as well. Some people would say that's just an arbitrary number, raise it. But from the policy perspective, people say that's actually a good way to sort of control the spending and be able to have some checks and balances Isn't that the point of
0: it? Yeah. It's a point, get together and decide do we want to do this yeah. instead of vilifying anyone who doesn't and just says, Hey, we're gonna default on our debt. How irresponsible is that? And we're get, what I don't understand is they said you'll have till June, but yet we hit the ceiling this week. Do, y-
7: do you yeah, understand the treasury so?
12: can take some Quote, extraordinary measures. So technically, yes, we'll hit it on Thursday, but then the Treasury Department will start to implement some extraordinary measures. So technically, and I know Kudlow was on the show, and, and I sit next to his team, so I've gotten an earful as well. Technically, they won't hit it until right. June, and that's good. That actually gives Congress time to really work through a balanced budget.
0: So, Brian, I get the sense that Taylor wants to
1: move the, your seats. <laughs> Kudlow's people are too loud. Uh-huh. I get the sense right away there's going to be a big move. We're, we're just tiptoeing Going around trying to listen to what he's saying uh, yeah, and hey, just that's a good point and then Maybe. beat him to the punch <laughs> But a few. We're on at once, so right. we can say it before he does.
0: So <laughs> so uh, first off, your reaction to you three doing the show. What was your reaction, Jackie? Oh
11: my God, so excited, so excited yeah. to be with Taylor and Brian and to have conversations. Did you
0: know each other?
11: No, I knew Brian. We, we didn't knew know each Taylor. Other, yeah. Um, But to have conversations that expand on the already great programming that we're doing at Fox Business um, and to bring three diverse points of view together um, to contribute to sort of wealth building, financial planning, investing in the market, and and getting people to take stock of their financial lives.
1: And everybody here, you know, cares about wealth. They're pro prosperity, they're pro-capitalism. We want to see people build incomes, make a better life. So this show isn't gonna mess around with is that good or not? No, no. It's how do you do it? And can we have a great conversation about how to do that? I think we can and the folks that we can bring around the table. Fox Business has a ton of great reporters. Right. There's a lot of voices who should be in the conversation. And I, I
11: always say this the American dream is still out there. I think it's harder. To right. grab at. And so you need to be smarter about it. Sorry and
12: to- we know, you know, we learned during the pandemic when we were all trapped at home and we couldn't do anything. You downloaded a trading app on your phone and you were trying to trade and trying to play in the market. The market kept going up. Stock market is just one way that you can build wealth. Yeah. But how do you do that in a responsible way? Are you still winning in trading? Should you be changing that mindset to investing? over day trading and sort of all of that capital preservation and the capital growth is something we're really excited about. So when people
0: say, well, there's only a small portion of the country in the market, that's not really accurate when you consider you add in the people in the 401ks yeah. pension plan, right? Mm-hmm.
11: Absolutely. And, you know, that's one way um, that I personally do it. For example, I'm invested in stocks in my 401k. So I go, I do my research, I see what the plans are and I pick. But I'm also invested in other things, in real estate, in the bond market as well, and so there's a, a diverse way that you can do it. I'm very risk averse, Brian. I don't, right. I, I don't like the day trading. I'm not, I don't want to buy and sell Facebook and, and deal with the market volatility. So I look at it um, as sort of building wealth longer term with safer investments. Now, yeah. Brian,
0: you have a passbook savings account where you hand it, uh, you p- put money into a savings, and you hand your passbook in, and the typewriter goes That's off right. and That's gives right. you a new total. <laughs> Well, you cool. yeah. <laughs> I and still remember doing that. It's working, out great, that. For yeah. me. It's working <laughs> out
1: great for me. You know, the same folks who have the 401ks and the real estate, a lot of them are trying to build a business. A lot of them are growing a business. You don't just make money in the market. You make it in the real economy as well. And I think in this country for too long, we've forgotten about those folks. This show addresses those folks as well. What do you need to know To grow your business and build something that can employ people and make this economy stronger.
12: And it feels so unattainable sometimes when you don't know what you're doing. Sometimes it can feel really daunting. I was one of those. I didn't have the education, so I didn't really know what to do. It's really intimidating. We hope to help make people more well-informed so that they feel really comfortable and independent making some of those financial decisions. Because financial independence really is the goal at the end of the day. So
0: where were you before this?
12: I came from Bloomberg. Uh, I was there for nine years, loved it, but really thrilled to be here. And it's a sort of a different audience and a new audience and three uh, amazing co-hosts, two other co-hosts besides me, and it'll be great. So
0: where did you get, how did you fill the gap from not feeling good about your finances to becoming an expert at it?
12: You know, I chose the more formalized education route, but that isn't for everyone. I think everyone should decide for them how to invest in themselves, whatever that looks like to help. Make them feel like they're a part of it, like they can make well-informed decisions, whatever that looks like for them. For me, it happened to be a little bit more formalized education. Brian's the big brain. He's the professor. (laughs) He teaches not. You better
1: not not hope (laughs) that's on me. Uh, But I love that point. It's not just about sitting in a classroom. In fact – I think most people who've built a lot of wealth would agree that that's not where the real learning happened. It happened out there making mistakes, trying to build things, but they had to have the space and freedom to do that. So part of the conversation is what kind of economy do we need to have in America that gives people the space to build great things? I'll tell you, the folks in D.C. don't know the answer. And the more we give them power, the more they actually constrict the ability to build wealth.
11: And the overall market dynamics are changing right now, Brian. As you know, we're watching, you know, still sky high inflation, a Federal Reserve that continues to raise interest rates. That's changing the whole market dynamic. For over ten years, the only place to find uh, investment opportunity and yield was was really in stocks, and that's why the stock market soared. But as rates go up and we right. start to get in that environment where they stay higher, people are going to have to look at things right. and reevaluate.
0: So. The Big Money Show is together. It's going to start officially next week at 1 o'clock. Uh, Brian Brenberg, Jackie DeAngelis, Taylor Riggs are here. Guys, this could be a regular thing. This is perfect primer. And plus, with Kudlow talking so loud, you're going to need a little bit of a <laughs> <Yes>. break. Uh, <laughs> Get the scoop on right. Kudlow. All right. So here, <laughs> let me just ask you this from a non-business expert. I'm noticing what happened with Tesla. You're seeing that Apple's losing. You're seeing that uh, Facebook is sucking wind. And people are saying, wait a second, what can we count on? Right away, I have people who would tell me oh, this is the perfect time to buy, and other people mm-hmm. say things are changing. Do you want to take that? I
12: think what Jackie said is a really important point. I don't want to get too wonky here, but there was a great article in the Wall Street Journal called The Death of the 60-40 Portfolio. Traditionally, it would be 60% equities, 40% bonds. To Jackie's point, bond yields are actually giving you enough of a return that that looks maybe mm-hmm. more like an attractive opportunity than it has before. Because
0: people are unsure.
12: Yeah, well, and that's sort of that new upper—the way the Fed is raising interest rates—it's creating higher yields, and so that actually could be part of this story. Maybe people are rotating out of some of those big Mm. equity stocks that you just mentioned and finding some other safe places.
11: Yeah, and savers really got hosed over the last decade or so with interest rates at zero. If you had your money in the bank or in a CD, you really weren't earning anything. But there are some good opportunities out there for for even things like that.
0: So when interest rates go up, fundamentally, I go, okay, good. So so will uh, so will the savings, uh, you right. know, it's up six seven percent. Yep. I mean, when we were Jimmy Carr was
1: in office, that it was high. It was, yeah. people have been incentivized to save, but it hasn't really been equal, has it, Brian? Oh no no no! You've got nothing if you're trying to put money in the bank. You've been able to borrow a lot of money. That's the problem. Right. Now you've got a lot of Americans saying my my borrowed right. balances are going up. So we've got to flip that, and this is the show yeah. to help people figure out how to do that. So
0: the music's going to come in. You know what? <laughs> they're they're go. pulling us <laughs> off <Right>. the stage. <laughs> so, you're so experienced. I'm going to do. I don't want you to be jealous, but I'm going to do a simulcast with Stuart Varney, who I've met in person. You guys have not. <laughs> uh, so Brian. Uh, Brian, Jackie, and Taylor, congratulations on the show. I hope this becomes a regular thing. Oh, yeah. We'd love to do it. You betcha.
2: Awesome. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade.
0: Hey, welcome back, everyone. Just a quick note, I'll be on the five later today. I don't know who I'm filling in for, but I know it's somebody important. Number one show of all of cable. Varney & Company are about to do a simulcast. Now, when we're done, it usually gives us about two minutes on the other side. So stay on board, one 408 7669 If you don't know, that Stuart Varney, by the way number uh, one or two show every single week in business television, period. Larry Cudlow is always a great guest on the show. I join them every Friday. Keep in mind, One Nation Saturday at about uh, at, uh, at 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock, both times are Eastern Time. So uh, we'll take a look at that. Also, uh, let's listen in together.
13: It seems like the media is turning on President Biden, uh, Brian, uh, over the classified document scandal. Just watch this, please. Roll it. It's very, very big. Not legally, but politically, it's a very, very big deal.
7: I don't think sitting there hunkering down now, they're just acting like it's not out there, is, there, is there a good strategy. They're, they're just going to get cream doing
2: There's, it. What happened here with these classified documents really erodes and undermines not just the momentum, but the brand of that the Democrats had been building of being the not only the competent party, But the decent, honest party.
1: By stumbling and bumbling around, by not getting their timeline right, amateur hour is over.
13: Amateur hour is over, stumbling and bumbling around. I don't see how that Biden can run in 2024 when the Democrats are going after him now.
0: Well, I mean, I think they're going after him in this instance, but I don't think they're running from him at all. Uh, I don't, and I am refreshed by the fact that Elon Omar and others said, yeah, there should be an investigation, and then other people saying "Uh, I'm disappointed. Senator uh, Stabenow says I'm embarrassed, and here's why. Because we had Mar-a-Lago. Stuart, if we didn't have Mar-a-Lago, they would be splitting away things and try to bury this. They did two things. Mar-a-Lago, the worst thing they've ever seen in their life, having this at a resort, locking it up, negotiating to give it back— Trump never should have taken it, should have been, hey, by the way, sign this out, I want to take it. But he wasn't sneaking it around. We saw those interns sitting there in the tarmac before Marine One took off and he flew away. That's not how you steal stuff. Uh, But it ends up in Mar-a-Lago. Having said that, it's six months. Six months later, they they like it back. They get some back, they don't get all of it back. This is six years later. And Doug Jones, one of his staunchest allies, who I thought was going to be Attorney General, he came out yesterday and said the problem was is the problem was it's not so much what happened is that you didn't come clean right away. You told us this is it in the closet. Then you told us there's some in the garage. Then there's in another room. So over the course five times over the next seven days, they had additional announcement over top classified information being put in the most irresponsible places. And everybody's on the record condemning Trump. So they're worried about their own backsides of having any credibility, knowing that this president's 82, whether he gets reelected or not. They want to last another 20 years, and they can't do it when they're on record ripping Trump from limb to limb, demanding that this makes him ineligible to run for president again. This nullifies this. Think about Trump for a second. Trump got out of the New York by a million-dollar fine with 17 counts. He was found guilty in a pure political trial with his attorney general. He writes a million-dollar check. For you and I, it's like $1.70. And now he's done there. Now all of a sudden, if Mar-a-Lago is neutralized, you only have Georgia remaining, and Trump could have be free of a lot of the legal wranglings that would hold him back should he—we uh, know he's going to run again—should uh, he get the nomination and go forward. So now it's going to be on performance but this is, in many ways, it gets worse every day for, for, for uh, President it, Biden.
13: It sure looks like it. Uh, forgive me, Brian, but I want to talk football. The Dallas Cowboys beat the Box 31-14 last night. They won despite their kicker, missing four extra points. Explain why this is so bad. I, I really don't understand football. Explain what's going on here.
0: I mean, these are chip shots. I mean, you don't play high school. Uh, the average high school kicker, average kicker hits an extra point. To miss in a playoff game, to be on America's team, and miss four extra points is almost unheard of. I mean, it's it's like a second baseman who suddenly can't throw to first base. But he does it on the national stage in the playoffs, having done it his entire life. I mean, it didn't hurt them at all. They blew out the Bucks, who didn't come to play. They were totally overmatched. Their game plan was absolutely awful. And the Cowboys look well-rested, ready to go. So Tom Brady's gone. The Bucks are gone but for those extra points didn't hurt him. But I don't know what they're going to do in the next five days. I don't think you can cut a kicker and ask somebody else to kick. Your roster solidified, I
13: so they better get the it guy. down. The next step against the 49ers, there's no margin for error. Okay, what's the future of Tom Brady? You want him to retire and join Fox Sports?
0: Well, number one, we have great benefits. We have a 401K, a wonderful Christmas party. Why not stop with the eye black, come out and hang out with us? Have him do uh, Stuart Varney. Stuart, you'll have room in you. – don't bump me, but I think you should have a Tom Brady segment maybe, and why not? <laughs> uh, after all, I mean, he looks like he's 12. Well, he's he not might, aging, but he, why he, look, get he, tackled he, anymore?
13: He, he might enjoy a, a segment with me, a segment with someone who knows nothing about football. That would make a nice change for him, wouldn't it? Hey, Brian <laughs> – I'm out of time, and we've got one of those hard breaks coming up. I've heard about them. Yeah, yeah, and then get you. See you later.
0: We'll get them to it. Still ahead. All right, we'll find out. Brian, listening in Illinois. Hey, Brian.
8: Brian's rule again. (laughs) What's on your mind? um, I'm a former submariner, TS, SCI, all that. I don't know why the uh, originators of the documents don't keep track of them. I mean, we give a control number to each document. You make a copy, it generates a new control number. Um, there should be somebody at the White House, you know, like the NSA said, hey, this uh, serial number such and such, you guys still have, you still need it, give it back, whatever. You know, that should be going on.
0: Well, you know, Brian, there's a theory out there. We don't know why they suddenly looked in that closet. We don't know why they suddenly had to clean it out. Maybe there's a theory, I'm not saying I buy it, that the archives contacted the administration to say, uh, the, when the vice president was vice, when the president was vice president, these documents will last with him. Can you check? That's a theory because they will not tell us why they decide to clean out those offices. So right. there, there might be a checks and balance situation that spurred the investigation. But for some reason, they feel it doesn't work to their advantage to tell us that. Right. Final thought. As
8: far as the presidents and vice presidents, you know, going to Mar-a-Lago or going to Delaware, wherever. Why aren't these presidents going to, like, a neutral location and doing all this stuff that's secure?
0: Absolutely. The most solvable crisis ever. Archives get aggressive on the transition. You better get in there. You bring security, and it's all filed away. So no one ad-libs their exit.
2: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade show. Coming here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Uh, We appreciate everyone being here. Bottom of the hour, he's already creating havoc in the green room. Uh, On the 15th floor, Sid Rosenberg, host of Sid and Friends, uh, in the morning on 77 WABC. They're kind enough to be carrying the channel. That's probably, if you're in the New York area, how you're listening. And Janice Dean is in studio. I
14: used to work with Sid Rosenberg. Right. We have some stories. And I
0: heard it did not go well. (laughs) Is that true? It did not go well? I
14: love Sid. He actually, because we worked with Imus. Right. When I first got to New York, that was my first job, working with Don Imus. And he was like the nicest guy He always, when Imus was really mean to me, he would come out and be like, are you okay, J.D.? Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because he was mean to him, too. He's a nice person. Sid Rosenberg is amazing.
0: Right. So, Pete, I don't know if you had the microphones there. Janice Dean has been on how many times? 25 times?
14: At least in the last, you know, four years.
9: Right. So
0: so. she knows the format. A brief hello, and then I get to the big three. (laughs) Sorry. Not now, all of a sudden, she's waxing poetic about a guest. (laughs) that's not even coming on for 30 minutes.
14: Well, I wanted to, like, hype him up so people will
0: listen. We'll call the Janice Dean big three. (laughs) All right. Provide- Sold. Let's see. Do Jan- we have commercials? Yes, yeah, so we'll have a whole sponsorship and everything. So so Janet, <laughs> she's all about money, this woman. uh team's got a brand new book out. It's called I Am the Storm, inspiring stories of people who fight against overwhelming odds. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to, to know, know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. There's no way that the city is going to spend um, that amount of money on these reparations. So... It seems like a lot of symbolic politics, and it's just sad because we have a serious street addiction and untreated mental illness crisis in San Francisco. And that is Michael Schellenberger, uh, who is saying reparations for everyone who
0: claims to be... By the way, you can identify any way you want. African-American, $5 million. No
4: joke. Number two. Mr. Biden always brags that the deficit came down $350 billion in 2021. And another trillion in 2022. But he neglects to mention that almost every nickel of that came from ending various COVID emergency spending programs.
0: The great Larry Cudlow, Biden's economy, the way it is, as the way he sees it, two vastly different things. We'll try to mix reality in with all of it.
3: Number one.
5: I don't, I don't know, clear. Jack. About politics, but if I had to guess, they're trying to get rid of him. Instead of like taking these classified documents which you have located and go, well, let's not do that again and locking him up somewhere. His own aides, self-reporting, dude. That sounds sus.
0: It's amazing. The shot we uh, we, we took is full of expletives, right? I
14: think that's what his show is all about.
0: Again, Pete, how many times have we been doing this? She's been on. She's interrupting the (gasps) big three. I'm sorry. Frustrated. That's how President (laughs) Biden feels. I know. It's unbelievable. Now you're interrupting. Feels now that most of the media is focusing on the classified document saga. Bad news, Mr. 46. It only gets worse from here because you did not come clean right away. I think more documents are going to be found. Uh, So listen, Janice Dean, I'm going to give you an option. Can I talk now? uh, Any of the big three. Or then fourth window is I Am the Storm, inspiring stories of people who fight against the overwhelming odds. This is let's make a deal. Okay. You those are the four topics. Door you make the choice. Doing number four? Yeah. Let's talk about your book. <laughs> You're right. This is that's the ego in you. Oh stop. Yeah. So I Am the Storm is focused on you really getting into what happened during the pandemic to to your in-laws. Mm-hmm. They pass away. You don't know, have a chance to see them before they die because they're put back into nursing homes and they get exposed to the virus, and at their age, compromised, they don't survive like so many others. How many people died in nursing home just in New York?
14: Over 15,000. I think there's more, um, and he lied about it. He cut the number by 50%. And by the way, not
0: the only governor to do this.
14: No, there were several other governors, but, you know, he was sort of the most out there because— he was talked about as a president and he was on every channel at like 12 o'clock noon doing his fireside chats. And in the beginning, I thought he was doing a good job. We were all in lockdown. We needed a voice. Absolutely. He was that tough talking governor with his Queens accent. And I even tweeted about it. Like this guy is doing a great job. We're really grateful for Governor Cuomo. And then we find out he is putting over 9,000 COVID positive patients into nursing homes. My husband's uh, elderly parents were on separate elder care facilities. They died within two weeks of each other. And I was finding out after the fact that all of these six sick patients were being flooded into their nursing homes. And he was still being touted as this great leader. And so I called up Tucker Carlson, and said, I think there's something going on here. Put me on the air. I wrote an op-ed, and I haven't stopped. And that's almost been three years now. He's out of office, but there still hasn't been any accountability. So
0: you want to also empower people that if there's something wrong, don't, don't let someone's fame, fortune, money or a profile, stop you from taking them on. And that's what this book is, examples of all that, right?
14: And that's a hard thing to do. I mean, it's totally out of my comfort zone, but I knew what was going on. And if I wasn't going to, if I wasn't going to stand up, who was going to? And I had this happen to my family. So I was lucky to have a platform. But, yes, there were other governors that had exactly the same language in their executive Governor orders. Governor Whitmer? Whitmer. Murphy. Uh, Murphy, Wolf, and Newsom.
0: Wow. Uh, What do they have in common? So here is Governor Cuomo when confronted with uh, the nursing home deaths. The report also
7: says the information from nursing homes is often uh, incorrect. Doesn't mean people didn't die. And it doesn't mean people won't die today. That is the curse of COVID. Why COVID? Why did God do this? Uh, I don't know. But who cares? Uh. 33, 28 died in a hospital, died in a nursing home. They died.
14: Then he went on to
0: say, "Do you think it was right that my dad died, or whatever?" Oh, right. And yeah, to bring remember up that. His dad, yeah.
14: I, you know, uh, God rest his soul, but he died of natural causes, <laughs> and know. he was allowed to see his dad. Right. Yeah. We were not. Um. So yeah, this was sort of the springboard to the book was what happened in New York, and trying to find my voice and to speak up when everybody else was saying how great he was. He won an Emmy award, and then he got a five point two million dollars. They book. took it back from him. They took I did not know that. Uh, yes. Um. So. The story, I wanted to find out what kind of storm, you know, sort of, uh, comes within you to do something, to try to change something on behalf of a family member or on behalf of a, situ- a situation that you're in, and you're up against something that is bigger than yourself. The odds are against you from getting what you need or what you want or the answers you deserve. And that's what I found. And I found a lot of solace in that, knowing that there are people that have done this kind of thing that are still in the middle of their battles, maybe never saw the end of the battle, um, and, and regular everyday people going up against a Goliath.
0: So here Here's what's amazing, too. You remember when you had to have the Javits Center? It's got to be a hospital. We're a hospital room. We called millions of dollars setting up the Javits Center. All right. Went unused. Right. Went unused. We had the ship unused, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And then at the very least, we're trying to figure it out. He's like, well, listen, if he ever just said, I didn't need the Javits Center. I'd like to thank the president for doing that. We're trying to figure this thing out. Okay, you didn't have enough uh, respirators. That was someone else's fault. Right. Totally
14: unprepared. Totally unprepared. New York was one of the worst prepared states for a pandemic. Right. And, you know, different cities and counties had a pandemic playbook that was ready to go when we got into this situation. He decided, none of it. I am the leader, and I'm going to decide what you
0: do. It's amazing, too, because people make mistakes. They understand it. But I also know people, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, Democrats in a different county, Suffolk County, Who were bypassing the governor because things were getting stuck where he wanted them to, and going right to the White House. Well,
14: they were. To get response. They were also David against Goliath because they were going against him, the most powerful politician in the country at that point.
0: Right. So uh, when this happens, what did they say about you? What are some of the things that you heard that Chris Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo were saying about you? Can we say
14: the B word on radio? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I never saw these texts, but people told me they saw them. It was him going back and forth between the governor and the administration, like, what are we going to do with this weather bitch? That was Chris Cuomo, apparently. Uh, and then his administration coming out and saying well she's not a reliable source on anything except maybe the weather so they were kind of trying to silence me by demeaning what i do as a profession and all that did for me is just want me to talk more
0: you know it's amazing when when a congressman was assemblyman kim was mm-hmm. assemblyman
14: ron kim yeah so ron
0: kim when you heard the voice of uh, Cuomo trying to intimidate him. Oh, yeah. Are you so an
14: he, honorable man, Ron yeah. Kim, is like, what he well, said.
0: Dial back. Meanwhile, not that his uncle died. No. You know, not Sorry about your loss. You're, Let me talk to you about it. Yeah. But he put it,
14: arrogant enough to put it on tape yes. as if we're never going to hear it. Exactly. And And said, you know, how dare you basically go up against me? And here's what you're going to say instead of going up against me.
0: And so he's a Democrat. Teaming with uh, a, a weather senior meteorologist. <laughs> Thank you for that Thank distinction. You, right, I have to toss to you like that. Or you, su- you sued me once, <laughs> I think, because I didn't. Uh, you do this, but when did it start getting to the point where I got to go up to Albany? I got go to go appear at a rally. When did that happen?
14: That was in August of 2020, actually, when I spoke out. Uh, you know, at, at one of their hearings, they first did not want me to speak out. Uh, with the bipartisan hearings that they were having. I was invited, and then I was disinvited. And then the Republican side in Albany said, well, we're going to conduct our own hearings. And Ron Kim was the only one that listened into those hearings. So after that, uh, there was a a bipartisan bill to look into what happened in the nursing homes, and I went to Albany to support that. But that never happened. It's never going to happen in Albany. Governor Hochul promised what? never. She promised to our faces in a a closed-door meeting with families that lost loved ones, I really want to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to help you. Nothing. And then promising blue ribbon panels and, and, you know, bipartisan investigations. And she has done nothing. And so I'm not going to get her help. I realize that. I do believe that uh, Congress is going to hold COVID hearings. And I believe uh, some of those hearings will involve the governors who put our seniors in harm's way.
0: Yeah, that was one thing Janice said the president, the former president, wanted to do. He said, listen, you guys know your states better. What do you need? I'll back you up. This president said, I'll decide everything on all all things and— well, somewhere along the line, the guy that he loved, he loved Cuomo. Biden yeah. loved Cuomo. Oh, I and think he wanted he to be his
14: attorney general. He was yeah. talking about him being an attorney general. You yeah. talk
0: about him now. Can you imagine him on the national scene still? Oh, my God, He'd still be on, on television with his announcement about his special prosecutor. But it isn't just about your situation. Mm-mm. Who else is highlighted in this?
14: Well, there's a lot of people that are highlighted. There's a lot of COVID stories in there because I felt like when we were locked up in our homes, we were seeing things on TV that we were like, is – is that really what's happening right now? And there were certain people that stood up and lost their job. Jennifer Say of Levi's, she got up in the very beginning and said, our kids should be back in school. There is a pandemic playbook stating that whatever happens, if there's a world war, yeah. if there is a pandemic that happens, our kids should not be out of school. She spoke up, lost her job. So I talked to her, um, you know, Chef Gruel, one of the most outspoken voices in California against Governor Newsom's uh, crazy outdoor dining ban. Meanwhile, people are still flooding outdoor Walmart. Yeah. They're going to Walmart and these small businesses can't can't oh. make a living. It was terrible. It's so worth. You know what? COVID kind of brought that fire out in a lot of us. I, I spoke to a nurse who came from Georgia, a traveling nurse at the very beginning. We didn't know COVID at all. And she came in and just saw death after death after death, and she just tried her best to do what she could. Uh, but her story is so heartbreaking, but she went back to Georgia with the money sh- that she made here in New York right. and opened a youth center to try to do something good with the money that she made during such a terrible time. Right.
0: Uh Steen is out. Today's an exciting day. Her the book is now out. I am the storm, inspiring stories of people who fight against overwhelming odds. More with Janice in just a moment. And then his. Uh, I booked Janice's arch enemy, Sid Rosenberg. Uh, they've been at Loggerheads for years. Will they finally get along? Well, I have to have one enter and the other one come in the opposite direction. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, he's the same Sid Rosenberg from Sid and Friends. Don't move. Brian Kilmead
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmead. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: Hey, welcome back. We have a few more minutes with Janice Dean. And then she says, listen, I'm lucky, you're lucky to get two segments. I said, suggest- Janice You sure? Uh, So this is a big favor. I had to
14: pay you some money to do two segments.
0: It's called I Am the Storm, inspiring stories of people who fight against overwhelming odds. Janice, so when did you realize that this might be a book you wanted to do? How did Uh, this come across?
14: That's a good question. I think I started writing about it just because I love to write. And I wanted to document what was going on. You did some columns too about it. Lots of columns on FoxNews.com, on on NewYorkPost.com. You know, the other media outlets didn't really want to talk to me at all. I actually emailed somebody from the New York Times. Times when all of this was happening, right. Through a friend of mine, because it was a story, right? It was thousands are dying in these nursing homes, and I have a, a personal relationship to some of these seniors, and I got this like terse email back from the New York Times, like, yeah, we don't have space for that. So I okay, no, no right. joke, yeah, yeah. Um, so there are stories. So I just started writing it down for myself, and then. You know, I thought to myself, well, there's got to be other stories out there. And I learned about this. And you love history. Mm -hmm. The history of D-Day, one of the biggest weather stories in the world was the postponement of our allied forces going in. On July 6th or June 6th instead of June 5th. And I learned that that was because there was a young woman in Ireland who had just taken a job at the post office at a remote lighthouse uh, in that, you know, in the off the coast of Ireland. And she was taking weather readings. And it was those weather readings that got to uh, General Eisenhower and uh, everyone that was putting... Um, that operation together and that's when they decided to postpone mm. it and there was another storm behind that so they took our enemies off guard right and it was like one of the greatest you know most historic events to happen and it was all because of a weather report so I thought this has to go in the book because but she Cuomo, stood up to
0: critics too they said oh she's not right there were other people say just do it and she stood up and said, I stand by my weather report, correct?
14: Well, listen, she didn't know the gravity of her reporting until decades later when they were finally seeing these these notes that were taken at the lighthouse. So she didn't really know until decades later when they actually moved uh, the place, the meteorological post that she was at to a different area. And that's when they found all of these files and documents. And that's when they told her. So that report, that weather report was something that changed the world, and it was important. It was like a thread through the book because Cuomo would come after me because, oh, she's just a dumb weather girl. Well, a weather reporter can actually change the trajectory of the world.
0: Right. No, I understand. Um, So you have those stories of people standing up too. Is it coincidence that two female stories – (laughs)
14: too many female stories no it's
0: it's, it's a coincidence they're both female stories
14: oh you also want
0: to empower women with this book
14: well i think there's a, a balance between men and women in there actually i haven't counted exactly but um it's i think it's pretty even uh but i do tell ron kim's side of the story he's got an incredible uh story to tell and then there are also sporting stories uh miracle on ice the captain of that one that amazing team that really was a David and Goliath sporting story Then I also talk about you know the, I love the Kentucky Derby um, the against all odds horse this year that wasn't even supposed to compete uh, one rich strike and I talked to the trainer and his backstory of how he prevailed after a, a terrible fire that burned his barn and killed many of his horses. He came back because of the love of his community. Other horse trainers, the Bob Bafferts of the world said, what can I do for you? Can I give you money? Can I give you horses? So his backstory and the story of his dad, how he became a trainer, it's really quite incredible. All
0: right, it's all in your book, I Am the Storm, inspiring stories of people who fight against overwhelming odds. Janice Dean, congratulations on today, publishing day. Thanks so much for coming in You're the best! Right? Is a check okay? No, no, no. This I should write you a check. You made, uh, you made the show better, even though you interrupted the big three. I'm so it's, sorry. You're it's so bad. It's, I'm surprised I haven't tossed you out. I'm really uh, sorry. Sid Rosenberg next. He's your, not good. Your enemy. <laughs> this is a
6: national. FEMA deals with national crisis. New York cannot take more. We can uh, As we indicated, one day, 800, 800 uh, 3,100 uh, a week and a half ago. But you know what? El Paso can't take more. Uh, Houston, Chicago, these cities can't take more. And I don't want El Paso to be put in a position that they can't take more. They should not be put in that position. We are not pointing a finger at El Paso. We're not pointing a finger at Houston. We're pointing the finger where it should be pointed, and that's our national government. Is. This is a national problem. All right,
0: nice try blaming FEMA. Um, that, of course, is, is Mayor Adams. I give him so much credit, six months late, but going down to the border and not only saying, show me a sanitized room where people used to be, like the president did, but going down to the bad parts, meeting with the Democratic mayor. says, show me how bad it gets and uh, show me what can be done. And, of course, the Democratic mayor has been saying, sign this sheet and we're going to send you to New York, Washington, or Chicago. And people were upset by that. It slowed down. But now it's starting again. Get this. 250,000 illegals came here in this country through our southern border illegally essentially, let alone the 64,000 gotaways, that is just in one month. That is a new record. It's a bad one. Sid Rosenberg here, host of Sid and Friends of the Morning on 77 WABC, one of the most successful morning shows uh, in the country. Sid, you've gotten friendly with the mayor. Yes. Uh, Don't you love the fact that he went down? I do, and, and to hear you
15: say that today which on my show as well as yeah. your show, which is great, Judge pure on my show this morning said the same thing. So people are happy that he did go down there and do it. Yes, it may be five months too late. Abbott extended the invitation a while back, but he did do it. He almost, almost calls out Joe Biden. He says national government. He says federal government. I think we'll all feel better when he says, Joe Biden, you got to fix this, but at
0: least— He's coming close. So remember, Senator Ben Sass, Nebraska, Republican, we call out Trump no problem. Governor Hogan, Republican in Maryland, call out Trump no problem. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you care about the people that elected you first. Doesn't matter if you agree. But he went down there, he said the federal government and FEMA, but he also now is at a mayor's convention in Washington, D.C., their conference. If they get together, and I'm looking to solve the problem, Sid, you're the same way. Yeah. Forget about scoring political points. If they get together, that's a force. There's no plans to meet with the president yet. Come on, meet with the president. Go the rest of the way. That's the way to
15: do it. You said it this morning, meet with the president. Also, the sanctuary city is a very, very bad deal here. In New York, us being, of course, a sanctuary city doesn't help. And Eric, if you
0: come, you stay.
15: Right, exactly. And not just stay, but they're going to find a way to make it nice for you, right? They're going to get you meals and, and nice hotel rooms. So that's, we got to shed that, the sanctuary city. But to your point, yes, he's got to meet face to face with President Biden. He's got to explain to him just how horrendous this problem is here in New York City specifically. And then maybe then he'll get the traction to make something change on a national level.
0: Because how bad is it in New York? You saw the story last week. About that hotel, the Roe Hotel. Oh, what was the Roe Hotel? It, Wasn't it a famous it, hotel? It was. Prior? It
15: was uh, the Milford
0: the, Plaza. Remember right. the 42nd Street song? Yeah, yes. I couldn't get that out of my head. And now it's back. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That's it. So it's been converted, <laughs> and now it's taken over. Somebody works there and says... They're having sex in the stairwells. They're selling drugs in the street. They're wrecking the rooms and throwing out the food. Come on!
15: Sounds like a good frat party to me. I don't know. (laughs) Right. It sounds like it sounds like Wednesday (laughs) at Sid's house. Exactly. So what's funny is not funny, but my pipes burst in my house in Rockaway Queens. So now we're forced, me and my family, to move to a hotel for five months till they fix the house. The first thing the whole house. The whole house. All the walls are gone, the floors are gone. We're like seeing that, four by the floors. Way. I started to cry. And I'm a tough guy. I literally started to cry. So the first question we ask when they put us in touch with all these hotels is, are there rooms for us after the migrants? Right. And sure enough, thank God, my hotel,
0: there was a room for us. But believe it or not, there were other hotels we could not get in because of the migrants. It's unbelievable because and by the way, these people are greedy because the city says, I'll pay you and I'll fill the place up. And they're like, fine. Well, what about other people that want to come in next? Do you want to live in a place that's just been trash by Ecuador and Russia's finest? No, you don't. But again,
15: Eric Adams, the mayor, is at least trying. He went to the border. He's going to have that conversation, I believe, with Joe Biden eventually. Better be sooner than later. But if you're a big critic... Of the mayor here in New York, Eric Adams, if you're one of his detractors, I think it's time to come to the realization, unlike the last guy, Bill de Blasio, this guy really does care. His record is not great after one year, I understand that, but at least he wakes up and he cares. But
0: it's better, and guess who's having war with? De Blasio. I know. And they are critical of him. They say, <laughs> who are they? You 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 took you, Bloomberg left you a city that was functioning well, and Giuliani prior to that, functioning well. And you destroyed it. It took him two or three years, but he destroyed it. The pandemic finished it. And now they're sitting back critical of Mayor Adams? It sounds almost like Trump and Biden. Trump
15: left Biden Pretty good. I mean, no but we have different parties. Well, I understand. I get that. But you're right. This is the same party. But no one liked the Blasio when he was here. It was partisan hate, right? It was bipartisan hate, I should say. So, yes, Eric Adams now has to deal with that. He doesn't care. In fact, he likes it. Look, Eric Adams, if you don't know him, he's really almost a Republican. I know he's a Democrat mayor. But if well, you, you know really, him, I know him. I sit down have dinner with the guy. He's almost a Republican. He's not not, not even close to one of these real, real Democrats. So, I'm not surprised that Eric Adams is starting to go the other way.
0: Um, What is he like one-on-one? Did he let you know uh, first off that he was thinking about doing this?
15: Yes, he did. He let me know he wanted to go down to the border and see it firsthand. Uh, that was a dinner we had weeks and weeks ago. He talked about the issue in the city. He talked about the money here in the city. He's always talking to me about bail reform and Kathy Hochul and Stuart Cousins and Heasty up in Albany. These are things that are very important to Eric Adams. Now, he can't change these things overnight. This doesn't have the legislative authority. But he does care about it. He's going to keep trying, knocking on the doors in Albany, go see the president about this situation. He wakes up every day knowing these are the issues affecting New York.
0: Is part of the reason— Oh, my God, I sound like his chief of staff. Right, well, <laughs> well, you did. You did sound very positive. Like Frank Caron just now. But you were saying to me early on, Brian, you're too hopeful about Eric Adams. I did, yeah. And now you feel now that you had a chance to break the ice with him. Yes. Uh, you're, you're more hopeful. I was actually angry with you. I'm like, Brian, what That's are true. you watching? This guy's a disaster.
15: I'm like, come on. And I did the same thing to my late partner, Bernard, God rest his soul, Bernard McGurk. He also was giving Eric Adams a chance. Then he started to hate him. But once I sat down with Eric, we've had multiple dinners now. We've been out together feeding the homeless in New York City and really picked his brain. I came to find very, very quickly he does care. He's going to fix this stuff. To call him a failure after one quarter of the way through is really silly. Now, if the city is the same way in a year or two, that's a different story. But right now, one out of four years, he's got work to do.
0: All right, we'll see what happens because right now he's pushing upstate New York to start taking some of the illegal immigrants that are here, 5500 from El Paso. Uh he says there's how many here now? 30 between 30 and 40,000. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, think about this as I was saying today, if if you just look at your paycheck once in a while. Now that we have direct deposit, just like for example with these uh with the uh tolls. Yeah. We, we used to go, wow, George Washington Bridge is five twenty <laughs> five Now we don't even realize, George Washington Bridge is free, really? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. We don't even realize we're getting billed, direct <laughs> deposit, we never check our yeah, check. I never do. We realize know. Which 66 out of every $10 we make goes to other people, why do you keep many of a, which aren't working. Why do you keep reminding me of that? Right. The only I mean,
15: time I think about my check and all the money that goes away from my check, whether it's taxes or stuff like this, is when you talk about but it. But what's
0: happening at 2 o'clock today? What's happening? You're gonna have d- lunch with your wife in New York City. That's true. Where do you think your money's going then? I, I, do you don't want to be reminded? No, I don't want to know. You don't want to know. <laughs> I, know. You, I don't want to know. You yeah. just want to do you even get the bill? I, I worked down like in Miami. Apple Pay. I worked down in Miami for
15: fifteen years, and when I got my salary, that was my salary, because I don't take any state tax. That's what I made. Right. I come to New York and between all the things you're talking about, I make a very nice living on paper, and then it's all gone
0: by the time it hits my bank account. And when do people tell you ever meet these radio guys who go, Yeah, I don't go to that city. I'm not in that city anymore. All the time Right, so you actually now Right, they never go. They don't live there. Derek Jeter didn't live in New York. I know, I know. Uh, And if he stayed one extra day, (laughs) Rush Limbaugh didn't live in New York. How would you moved out? yeah, Yeah, right.
15: He's got a place in Palm Beach too, so a lot of those. I mean, he does stay on, in the Hamptons, obviously. But he makes so many billions of dollars; it doesn't matter. But a lot of these folks did leave New York and came back to work. But that was it. They just left New York City. I'm not leaving. I'm in Queens. I'm a New York guy. I will go down with the ship. Hopefully, Eric Adams, the ship won't go down.
0: Uh, we better not. It can't be that. I mean, the ship's not going to go down. I mean, there's plenty of people here. I'm not sure what, what they're doing. There's a lot of people here. Do you ever try to walk down uh, 7th Avenue? All the time. Right. You walk in the street now. Yes, I because do. Because it's so crowded. Yes. Right. Also, it's packed. What, is it I just actually being...
15: walked here from my studios down 6th Avenue. It was packed.
0: Can we agree as a people to not rebuild every building at the same time? Yes. I feel like I'm under scaffolding every single step. What is going on here? Uh, and you
15: always read once in a while about one of these scaffolds. Some lady goes walking by innocently on her way to lunch, and some brick comes flying down from the 30th floor and kills her. And, and I'm always worried, what well, can these scalp balls? I could be the next victim. So not only is it kind of, it looks crappy, and it's a pain in the neck, it's kind of dangerous. All right. So I am worried about that. All right. yes. And
0: you worried about yourself again?
15: Yes, I'm worried you're about not, myself. You're not worried about other
0: New Yorkers? No, never, never,
15: never, no. Right, no, no. so real yeah. quick, here's this the President of the
0: United so States. <laughs> if, you to, um, if you want to give tribute to Martin Luther King Jr., this is the perfect way to do it. Cut 16.
7: You're going to talk about big spending Democrats again? Guess what? I reduced the deficit last year. 350 billion dollars and this year federal deficit is down one trillion plus dollars hear me that's a fact and there's going to be hundreds of billions reduced over the next decade but so what these guys are the fiscally you know, they're
0: fiscally demented i think they don't fiscally demented this is a martin luther king jr tribute that Republicans are physically demented? I thought he was going to work across the aisle. What's uh, wrong with him? He
15: did say that. And, and by the way, Joe Biden should never use the word demented, dementia. Exactly. I mean, he, of all people, he this, guy, this guy tried to sing Happy Birthday to Brown yesterday. And, and to Jackson she forgot Brown. her name. He had no idea what his name was. I had no idea what her name was. But uh, yeah, you're right. Look, it was one of the most divisive and nasty and ugliest speeches <laughs> on a celebratory day I've ever heard. I go back to the speech he made months ago when he was standing there in front of Jim the Jim Crow Red 2.0. Yeah, exactly. This guy, for the word unity, he throws around all the time, is the most divisive and evil president in the history of our country. Right. And, and I don't want to hear about apathy. I want to hear disdain. Don't feel bad for the guy. You hate the guy. Right, That's you, how I feel. You, I hate
0: Joe Biden. I actually don't think you know, people say, well, what a nice guy. He's trusted. I go, nice where do those guy. two things come from? Oh, please. Right he,
15: he, Right now, the Biden family between him, his crooked son, and his two crooked brothers, this is a mob in the United States. This is a criminal family that Joe Biden runs. He's not an innocent bystander. It's not dementia. He is
0: evil and a bad All right, so Sid Rosenberg, not evil. No, well. Well, uh, good point. We'll find out in the break. When we come back, we're going to find out if Sid needs to know more. More to know.
2: Okay. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
0: Hey, welcome back, everyone. The great Sid Rosenberg's here from 77 WABC. Sid and friends in the morning, uh, killing it in New York. And, of course... Uh, so many of the stories that happen in New York are happening everywhere. It's happening in our cities. The immigration, the drugs, everything like that. Sid's not doing any of that. You're here legally, right, Sid? <laughs> I,
15: last I checked, I was. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you the don't the mind drugs, if I I gave up too many, many years ago. Right. <laughs> right. And the drugs. Yeah, you're done with that too.
0: But it makes you an expert.
15: I, I was there too. Yes,
0: right. I was. Hey, let's find out, Sid. If America needs to know more.
15: All right. Let's more start. to know.
2: Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com. All right,
0: Sid, I'll go first. We'll, we'll do it out. All oh, the president of the United States seems to forget the name of MLK's daughter-in-law while singing Happy Birthday to her. Let's listen.
7: <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday,
1: dear oh, well. <laughs> Happy birthday.
0: So to it's a mortifying you. moment oh. meant to honor the 49 year old Andrea Waters King. It came as the 80 year old president spoke at an event organized by Al Sharpton's uh, Big Place. What is your reaction to this?
15: It was embarrassing. Uh, it was a rough day altogether because first he screwed up the song, and then he tried to say something about Katanya Jackson-Brown and couldn't say her name. Like, he forgot over the, over who again. he nominated for the Supreme Court. Correct. He forgot her name. So all, altogether, another embarrassing day for Joe Biden. Take it, Sid. All right, Brian. Army bings, uh, brings back venerable Be All You Can Be ad this campaign. This is a good move. A uh, major recruiting slump. I remember this commercial. Okay, take it away.
1: Inside you, the things you've never known. It's been tough, rough going, but you haven't gone alone.
15: All right, Sid, what do you think? This is a good move, right? I think Be all you can be. Even at the age of almost 56, I'm ready to go back and serve. Go back and serve as if I served before, but
0: maybe I'll just go serve for the first time. But they're having trouble recruiting. (laughs) What are we going to do to get people to serve again? Maybe make it less woke? Would that that help? That would help, Maybe stop firing people because they didn't get vaccinated? Would that help? That would help, too, yes. Next, Tom Brady, the Tampa Bucks fall to Dallas. They don't really show up. This one is not even a close game. Final score 31 14. Brady did not look good, but it wasn't really his fault. The question is will he come back? Divisional roundups, divisional roundup matchups. The next round looks like this Jags against the Chiefs at Kansas City, Giants, Philadelphia, 8 o'clock at night. Uh, in Philly. Cincinnati will be at Buffalo. Will that be a neutral site? No, that's a real game.
15: The neutral site would be the next week AFC Championship game if the Bills take on Kansas City.
0: Thank you so much. Cowboys against the 49ers in San Francisco. First off, what is Brady going to do from what the Brady you saw this year?
15: Well, uh, listen, they still won the division. He wasn't very good. Eight and nine. I know. I know. But there's a half a billion dollars waiting for him. I say he still plays. I think the Raiders' legitimate shot. I think New England, even though Belichick hates him, Kraft loves him. That's his shot. Who knows? Maybe Tennessee or the Jets. I think Tom Brady tries it one more time.
0: Here's the thing. He left Giselle. If he did leave Giselle because she told him, you go back, I leave. He can't just go back for one year, get knocked out in the first rounds of the playoffs. Do you think this could become—is this about his relationship? Is that going to be the ultimate decider?
15: Well, between the cryptocurrency loss
0: and the divorce with his ex-wife, oh, that he was needs terrible. the cash. terrible. Right. Do you think he's out of money? Are you saying— <laughs> He's not out of money, but
15: he could use the cash. Wow,
0: that's true. By the way, we should keep that in mind. Next time people ask us to endorse, it can't be a guy with tight shorts, <laughs> big belly, who needs a man bra. Right. Uh, who really doesn't want to look you in the eye and shakes like crazy when you ask him where your money is. Right. Very good point. Next. Here it is,
15: Brian. COVID vaccines may make Botox wear off faster, studies suggest. Now, this is very personal to me because... I'm a radio guy, but I still go for Botox, Jen Delandro, every six months. So I'm done with COVID vaccines only because my Botox is going to wear off, and that scares the living daylights out of me.
0: Uh, that's it. So this is personal for you. Yeah, it's very personal. Right, uh, so how much do you do? You, how much Botox do you use?
15: I usually take about two vials of Botox, a vial or two a filler as well. in do my you do yourself? No, I go to a, a lady named Jen in, in uh, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. She's she's, she's the a, best.
0: Or in Bay Ridge. Go yes. to Jen in Bay Ridge.
15: Yes, Jen Dolce Aesthetics. She actually advertises on my radio show at WA. BC. She's the best in the business, does me and my wife Danielle. If I ever miss her, I'm depressed for weeks.
0: Next, LeBron James had his mind blown on Monday when the Houston Rockets forward Jabari Smith Jr. informed the Lakers superstar that he faced Jabari Smith's seniors team in an NBA game. Listen.
8: Hey, you played against my dad. first. Your first NBA game ever. Really? Sacramento. You feel old, don't you? <laughs>
15: Yes, he feels old. Wow. Get
0: inside LeBron's head. Wow,
15: that is unreal. But I tell you, it's a testament to how good LeBron James still is. The Lakers aren't great anymore, but he's still a great player. He's the biggest jerk in the NBA, and he should, like uh, my friend Laura once said, shut up and dribble. But at the end of the day, he's still a really good player
0: for all these years. Well, here's the thing. He went up to Lakers and said, trade for this guy, trade. And know what they said? No. No. Yeah. Because he destroys every team he goes to. He Miami does? left him in tatters. Yeah. Cleveland left him in tatters at battling back. And he's going to do the same thing with the Lakers. And they said, no, we can't do this anymore. But he's also won championships in all three of those places. Better player Jordan or LeBron? Michael
15: Jordan, till I die, will be the greatest player ever.
0: Uh, something else we agree on, Sid. <laughs> you have just officially done more to know. Thank you all so right, much. All right. all right. He's clapping for
4: himself. Sid Rosenberg. Right. Keep it here. See you on The Five tonight. It's time to take the quiz.
1: Five
11: questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen
14: to the quiz at quiz.fox.
15: Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.